Welcome back to episode 45 of the Hex Drinkers podcast. I am um, your better host, Chev, and with me is Eric. Hello. And oh, yo. We're missing Julian today because he's doing, uh, he's setting up the Hex Drinkers South HQ uh, <laughs> down in, in Nashville. So he's preparing for that. We've got West East. We're close to, you know, full U.S. dominance. Uh, we need to kick one of you guys out to the Southwest, though. The Midwest. So, oh, how's, maybe. I mean, oh. Well, yeah, we could get Midwest, but I feel like that's in the middle, you know? So, if we, as long as we get both ends of it. <laughs> we just got to draw a square. To Arizona okay. is all I know. Arizona or New Mexico, pick one. Uh, Oak probably can work more remote um, than Eric, who has to drive to Maine. Those drives from Arizona might be a little brutal. <laughs> it, it, uh, it would but, take you know, a bit. As long as he gets his notes in on time, I don't care how far he has to drive. <laughs> Uh, so we're, we're doing a bit of a, you know, laid back pod like we do when there's, there's less of us and we're, we're getting into a, a pretty interesting topic here called how to spice up your game night. You know, things are getting a little stale. Uh, you might, might be feeling like you're, you're losing some of the steam that you had at the beginning of the pandemic. Um, or, you know, just when you're hanging out with friends now that people can, can meet up and stuff. We're here to try out all these different things and we've tested a lot of these commander variants specifically because that's what our group mainly does. And we're here to tell you kind of what works, what doesn't, and ways to keep things interesting because, you know, it's it's all about making sure that you have fun with the game and not just kind of filling into a rut. So we're going to go over a couple big bigger topics here. Uh, the, the sort of plan is talk about some different variants of commander um, that we might have played. Um different restrictions you can add to your commander decks to give them a little more spice or ingenuity and then different ways to play if you're still stuck at home and and you don't have a a local game store or something like that so uh why don't we kick it off with variants um oh what's what's uh what's one type of commander we've been playing recently well i mean i'm gonna i'm obviously gonna talk about i think my favorite of our variants uh which is two-headed giant i think very early on in our commander career i was a big advocate for two-headed giant but i feel like i kept getting shut down uh, <laughs> oh, so, um in, in favor of free-for-all uh and my excuse was always politics i hate politics um but mm-hmm. how are you gonna play a game with without politics uh but still play with like four people well two-headed giant is let me tell you the way to go it, it's very different than 1v1 magic two-headed giant non-edh magic and free-for-all magic it really doesn't feel mm-hmm. anything quite like any of the others it's um sort of a combination of the three can you walk us through some of the things that make uh two-headed giant different yep than uh those like the, the base rules for it yeah so obviously the very uh most I guess blatant difference is that you are uh, on two teams uh, with two people per team. Um, you take all of your turns sort of at the same time. I guess these are normal, like, mm-hmm. two-headed giant rules. Um, but what makes, I guess, EDH special is that uh, you start with 60 uh, life per team. Uh, and you also don't... Or do you... Uh, no, I don't, I don't think you draw if you're the uh, first team that plays. On, right, on right. Since there's only two age. teams, yeah. I, I don't believe yeah. there's any draw yes. the first. Um, so yeah, I, I think like uh, those are the major differences. A lot of cards become better because you now have two opponents <laughs> <laughs> that share a life total, and I know um, me and Chev feel this a lot from way back during our uh, Theros Beyond Death pre-release, which was two-head giant. Uh, we did very poorly, and that was partially in, due to the fact that uh, one of the teams we went against played like a turn three Clothis and uh, Clothis if you read the card says something to the effect of uh, at the beginning of your upkeep 
you may exile uh, a card from target graveyard. If it's a non-creature uh, spell or something like that, each opponent loses two life. But the, the key part of that is each opponent, because every card that says each opponent um, triggers, or you get an, like an extra trigger, because you're against two people. Uh, so this makes cards like Clothis better, um, because you are uh, dealing uh, essentially more damage, as opposed to a, a six damage off a combined total of 120, you're dealing four damage off a combined total of 60. Mm -hmm. uh, and, yeah, there, there, there's a ton of examples like that, and that's maybe even a less egregious one for EDH. Um, however, a lot of cards get worse, too. Uh, Selvala Stampede, for example, is a big one. Uh, that triggers for... Nope, that's not a good example, because that's each player, isn't it? That's not a po each opponent. It is. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's see. In um, fact, Saval Stampede gets better, because yep. you have one person to be like, yo, dog, pick deck. This is true. <laughs> yeah, here's what's okay. in my hand. <laughs> here's a better example. Um, any of the primordial spells, I guess, like Deluvin Primordial, for example, yeah. is exile a spell from each... Uh, or exile instant or sorcery from each opponent's graveyard, you may cast that until the end of the turn. So, obviously, this time you have less opponents. Um, total, you get to cast less spells unfortunately i think that's something we we haven't really fully developed like we have played two-headed giant a few times but i don't think we've ever built specifically for two-headed giant because with these changes in effects like the difference in number of opponents the number of effects like one of my favorites siphon mind that we talked about in commander chill picks one you know that's only one other well i guess there's two opponents there but you're losing one access to it and then it's you know discard two, draw two, uh hmm. draw yeah draw two uh which you know, for four mana isn't all that great. And so you get a lot of effects that kind of scale differently. It'd be interesting to try and build decks with that sort of two-headed giant lens, um, especially because that would affect, you know, how this is going to go together. And one of the things that I think we're going to see here with uh, more of these variants is like when you rely on them, tools like EDH rec aren't as helpful in sort of figuring out what makes a deck unique or, or what is the best way to build this deck because there are different things to consider. And so it can lead to some more personal uh, customizations like I know we could get into if we if we really built for that. Yeah. I know we've built decks around like certain um, play styles before like in our game light night last night we had like a variant where we um, where we each had a class for our or from the mm -hmm. most recent uh, Adventures in the Forgotten Realms set one of the class enchantments for each of our decks that we got to start with sort of as like a pseudo commander um and there were there there are build arounds for that, but I don't think we've ever really built around uh, something for two headed giant specifically. Although I know if we did, I would definitely be playing surge because that is like <laughs> that that's a sweet mechanic, and the fact that it synergizes, it was designed specifically to synergize in two headed giant uh, is just really cool. <laughs> surge that, and assist. Digging into... yeah, assist. Oh yeah, yeah, exactly. The uh, the battle bond mechanic since battle bond was kind of built with a, a two-headed giant mentality as well as multiplayer magic. And so you get some more of those those special abilities. Uh, and, and certain cards, um, I think, like Feral Hydra, which is any player can activate the ability, not just you. There are a, a couple of those. And so your teammate, of course, if it's beneficial to you guys, can, can go ahead and do that. So there's some super cool stuff in there as well that you can really capitalize on in those environments. Uh, another card that I thought of for this was uh, Tempt with Discovery and mm -hmm. cards like that mm. we were like oh no it'd be a shame if me and my partner ramped for three total yeah. <laughs> like it, it's just good yeah. um yeah. and 
one thing that we, we haven't really gotten into is the fact that as a fun accident of not building around this, you can look at your hand and your opponent's hand or both your board states and say, can we do that? Like, is this just allowed? And I think we've had a lot of those moments in our history of Two-Headed Giant. One that will always stick with me is Chev and someone else were... I think it was Chev and Julian were getting walloped in a game of Two-Headed Giant. Was not even close. They were dead the next turn. And then Chev's just like, all right, uh, I'm going to cast Hatred on my Flying Commander. Uh, I'm going to give it 21 power, uh, putting them down to, like, one life. And um, we're going to swing. You have no flying blockers. You're dead. Uh, (laughs) Neither Oak nor I had removal. And we had a game stolen from us. Mm Mm-hmm. But, well, uh, you know, I, I think that was really the heart of the cards. We were able to pull ahead due to our intense strats of paying all of our life and the no change in commander damage that uh, Two-Headed Giant and Commander kind of takes in. Yeah. Uh, speaking of games being stolen, uh, during the Hex Drinkers <laughs> Olympics uh, was one of my favorite Two-Headed Giant memories, um, where uh, I'm pretty sure the, the sequence uh, that led to victory was something like, I cast Maelstrom Wanderer, one turn, then the next turn I cast an extra turn spell, then I regrowthed it and played it again, and then my partner, who was Julian, cast another extra turn spell. Um, and when you get an Perhaps extra turn... Perhaps his fifth spell that game. Yes. Um, yes. <laughs> I, I don't even know if it was his fifth. Maybe, like, his third. <laughs> um, but, yeah, something... Uh, there's another kind of spell that gets really good in Two-Headed Giant, like... I mean, it's already a, a powerful effect, but extra turns is not just one player taking an extra turn; it's one team taking an extra turn. Mm-hmm. Uh, so mm-hmm. that'll 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 get them. <laughs> one thing I'm kind of thinking of before I think we we move on to the next one here uh, is I'm wondering, you know, if we get to the point where we want to build decks around two headed giants specifically, I wonder if you could do it as kind of like a, a a support deck and the one that's dealing the more damage, and you have one that's like. Like uh, Eric said, with the tech with Tempted with Discovery, mm-hmm. it's like, I'll get two lands, but you're in colors that don't ramp, and I can get you those lands. Mm-hmm. Or effects that say target player, because there's a few of those, you know, target player draws yeah. X cards and that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you normally don't think about it, but then you can kind of pump up the other character with just m- huge amounts of value while they're able to just swing and, you know, run 32 lands like a maniac <laughs> and, and, and that sort of thing. Yeah. You know, I think that could be a really uh, interesting space to develop. Yeah. For sure, but yeah, all of the tempt spells would be would be kind of crazy, uh, and then uh, there's a couple other cards where it's like uh, there's a blue one where it's blue and X. Uh, any player can pay into X. Uh, everyone draws X cards, hmm. um, and th- those are obviously a little more communal than uh, like tempt with discovery and uh, the other tempt cycle, which right. you know, ben- benefit you the most, but uh, can definitely help. Put your partner ahead uh, as well. Yeah. So moving on from um, Two-Headed Giant, which is a a standard format that a lot of people kind of know about already. Um, One that we've kind of, as we devolve into more and more craziness, uh, the next stop on our journey is to probably talk about Plane Chase. So for those of you who are unfamiliar, uh, Plane Chase is a variant of the game that came out last the last time it saw new cards was 2012, but I think there was a Plane Chase anthology that came out a couple years after. Yeah. Uh, basically, the idea that you, you're playing a multiplayer-style game, um, but there's an added element, which is these plane cards that are oversized cards 
uh, and they change, they're basically like, think world enchantments. They affect the game, and the only way to interact with them is by rolling a six-sided die where the one is equivalent to a chaos and six is equivalent to planeswalk. Planeswalk, as you might have assumed, is you change the plane you're currently on from a stack that's shuffled before the game, and chaos has a different effect based on the plane. So it's a way to add a sort of element of randomness and interesting, and especially to see, like, honestly, really cool vignettes of uh, planes that were visited prior to 2012, and you can see some planes that are clearly uh, supposed to have been, you know, a, a sort of different future scenario where I, I forget the names now, but it's coming to me that there's the previous name for Theros has a plane, sort of like Greek mythology. Mm. And you get, I think Kaladesh has a few, you know, planes that were kind of in the back of Wizards' mind at the time as they were trying to build out this product, but that we saw some definite changes in when they came to a premiere set. Mm. So I know that's that's one we played a little bit too, and I'd love to get your guys' uh, feedback on that. I'd love to take the helm on this because this is actually my favorite variant that we play. <laughs> I freaking love plane chase. I think it is everything that a casual format should be in that it adds chaos, but all the chaotic elements it adds help accelerate the game most of the time. There's mm -hmm. a couple planes where it's like, oh, at the start of your turn, sack a non-black creature, and you're like, ah, that kind of sucks. <laughs> but most of the planes are like, hey, whenever you cast a spell, draw a card. Hey, at the start of your turn, just go grab a land. Uh, or like, or... They're negative, but they don't slow the game down. Uh, the plane we started on when we played this last night was, hey, uh, at the start of your turn, flip over the top card. If it's not a land, take three damage. <laughs> Just stuff the game's that... accelerated. Uh... <laughs> yeah, it's stuff that keeps the games moving, and in a casual mm -hmm. game mode, I think that's really important, and I will come back to that point. Uh... Yeah, you're setting something up here. <laughs> yes. Um it also allows for really swingy gameplay with how powerful and impactful the planes are. Uh, mm -hmm. There was a plane last night where the effect was just draw up to seven at the end of your turn. That was the baseline effect of it. And so if you are out of resources and you're like, I'm about to get destroyed and you roll the plane or die and you're there now, all of a sudden your fortune has sort of turned. And mm -hmm. I love that even though it is keeping the game going and keeping the game accelerated, it's doing that in a lot of times by giving players more resources, giving players the mechanisms to be more effective. And I just, I love the way that this is balanced. Yeah. I feel like it's kind of like you have a fifth player at the table at all times playing group hug for everyone. And then occasionally, <laughs> once in a while, they just switch to stacks real quick and then they switch back. <laughs> yeah, and then you're like, here's eight mana, please leave. And they're like, all right, yeah, you got it. Yeah. <laughs> all right, let's switch back. Let's switch back. Yeah. One of the uh, really cool things too, and so Eric mentioned, you know, there are some planes uh, that just straight up suck, <laughs> mostly in Grixis and I think Innistrad uh, were the two places where they're, they're kind of the worst. Uh, but something about, you know, the physical aspect of Plane Chase is it's a deck of, of planes. And each one, I think, is only a, a dollar or so uh, since the format doesn't see a lot of support online. Um, so you, if you just buy them, you can take out the ones you don't like. Uh, it's kind of really custom in terms of how you and your, your group play it. Uh, something that we should probably also mention is if you're playing these planes, um, take a look at... It's not called Planar Rock. Um, what? <laughs> what's, the, what's the Mana Stone? Oh, oh. Man, I know what you're talking about. It's a two mana taps for colorless. Uh, tap it to roll the plane or die. 
So, of course, you can roll the planar die, which affects these mm. planes uh, once per turn. Fractured power uh, stone. And then for an additional mana, uh, you can roll it again. Uh, and now in this mana rock, Fractured Power Stone, as Oakley has just done the research for <laughs> us, uh, is a great 20 cent, like two mana, mana rock, good to have. And it allows you to get that additional roll uh, if the resources get a little bit intensive. It's better than Mind um, Stone. Yeah, it's... <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> you lose the card draw, but in this format, it's definitely worth it. Um, something that, that has been a little bit unfortunate about, about Plane Chase is the fact that we haven't seen any new planes since uh, 2012, which is the last time this format was kind of uh, renewed by Wizards. Now, there was, in 2019, I think, there was a fan initiative that I picked up on from Reddit uh, to build Plane Chase 2019 with a new set of planes based in the places we've been recently. A lot of them were very well balanced. I think it's a stack of like 20 or 30 uh, and it's it's rare that we remembered to play with them. Uh, we had to build an online app um, to to pull them in because they're currently stored in an imager library. Uh, and so if, if you want to play with those, uh, that's another great way to add to the game. And for people that have joined recently, um, just look up Plane Chase 2019, I think, and you should be able to find it. If not, we, we host that copy of Planes at planeswalk-app.com. Um, it's a good way to kind of, you know, Add this to your game night and make it in an easy enough place that everyone can see it and also helps accessibility. Is that linked on our website, the Planeswalk app? No, no, but it should be. Yeah, it should be. <laughs> we can change that today. Yeah, it sounds like one of our two web devs should uh, <laughs> get on that. Yeah, probably. Figure it out. Um, but yeah, Oak, what, are you, what are your thoughts on the format? Um, yeah, I think it's a lot of fun. I mean, like I, I feel like the thing I said before where it was just like, it, you got an extra person playing group hug at all times. Yeah. Like, you mm -hmm. know, when, when that per, when that person's got, like, play an extra land every turn or draw an extra card every turn. Yeah. You know, they got Howling Mine. It's just, like, it's like that. And then once in a while, they just throw in, like, that, you know... A little bit of group slug Thorn or a little of, bit yeah, of stacks. Thorn of Amethyst. <laughs> or what's the one that makes all spells cost one less? I don't know. Um, it's a, yeah, whatever effects that like is. that, yeah. Um, right. So I, I think it's a lot of fun. It's very chaotic. And uh, if you're not taking the game too seriously, which if you're playing casually is probably the case, um, then it is, it's, it's great to mix up uh, every once yeah. in a while. You can also take your super tuned decks into this as long as you just have that mentality switch where you're like, this is now a joke. Yeah, I could get blown yeah. out by a budget deck. <laughs> right. If, if the, the plane aligns with what they're doing, uh, it's, it's very hard to plan for, I think. The only thing you can do is <laughs> run adapt. fractured power stone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, adapt to, to what's going on. Uh, and that's, that's probably um, very similar to, to the next one I'm, I think we're going to talk about, which Eric has some... Some some deeper opinions on now. This one is a, a text drinker special. We've kind of built this ourselves, and it is still evolving because of it. But the idea came around from the hex drinker Olympics we did over the summer, and when AFR was spoiled, the um, D and D set that we saw this summer. Uh, there's this set of or, or cycle, I guess, of twelve cards that the names follow the format of you followed by an action. So you know you stumble across a glade, you find some goblins. And then the card itself is modal and gives you two abilities using the flavor text idea. So it, it's really trying to get into that role-playing of like, you come to a river, do you try to cross it and get X ability, or do you go around and another ability? So we thought it would be super cool to put together a, all 12 of these and kind of have a random chance of getting one. 
Um, we wanted to use a D20 though, so we came up with eight custom actions to fill out this D20. Everything from just make a couple treasures to someone else has to drink, uh, which was one of the themes of the uh, Hex Drinker Olympics. <laughs> For those of you who, who want more, <laughs> you can check out that episode. We won't go too much into it. And over time, we've kind of adapted. Um, originally, we tried to bring in like planar chaos uh, to this, but there was like too many moving parts as well. So we kind of cut that out. And this is the format that Oakley talked about a little bit earlier with where we tried to add the classes last night uh, as well during our, our weekly game night to kind of get more into that D&D style of, you know, your commander and then your class and then these other sort of elements going on. Now, Eric, why, why don't you kind of explain what uh, what your feelings are on this? Because I know, I know you have some that we could kind of talk about and maybe fix the format for future. Yeah, so... I guess my stance on this is that it, I, I don't love it. I think that mm-hmm. it is – what we tried to do was we tried to remake Plane Chase, but we did it with just kind of some limp effects. And a lot of the effects sort of lean in the wrong direction. There are multiple of these that are counter-target spell. There's only one that's counter-target spell. We roll that so often. Oh we, my god. We did god. in one game. We we haven't that's that's something interesting. Like it seems like the dice each time we do this uh is is set to a particular number. In one of the first games we rolled counter target spell and create treasures a lot. Last night we I think we kept rolling you hear something on watch which is deal damage to a target attacking creature or target creature gets plus 1 plus 3 until end of turn. These are very as Eric said, you know, limp effects, probably made more for draft than anything else. Yeah. So it, it, it does mean uh, if you're not rolling one of the custom effects that were kind of built with D&D in mind, you can end with some limp moments that feels like a waste of resources. I think I, I think there are a lot of interesting things that we can do with this. And I think that the first thing we should do is ask ourselves, how can we make all of these more powerful? Or if we're not mm-hmm. going to change what the effects are, how can we make it feel worthwhile to engage with these weaker effects? And so I think that like... If you turned it into, like, an adventure where, like, if you resolve X number of these effects and then complete a dungeon, you get a massive reward. Mm-hmm. Because... So adding sort of, like, side quests or, or other other themes, other goals to hit. Yeah. Essentially, like, if I roll, like, you hear something on watch, 99% of the time I'm like, okay, but let's say I have to c- resolve five U effects... And, you know, that's my fourth one. I'm like, okay, great. Uh, I'll give Julian's creature plus one plus three, but I've resolved that effect and I'm now closer to some sort of long-term goal where I can get... I'm going to be honest, that one sounds kind of sucky because it's like, I, I don't care what the effect is, but since I do need to do one, it's great. I think personally, I'd like to see this with just ramped up effects and, and dealing more because I do like the idea of side quests and stuff. That's something we kind of explored uh, with with the Hex Drinker Olympics as well, kind of having these different goals, different ideas to try and accomplish throughout the games. But I, I definitely think in, in this case, it would be better to have more powerful effects that you're happier to kind of hit as opposed to, oh, goody, uh, I just care that I rolled the die as opposed to, you know, what happens. That seems like we're just, you know, paying you for, for shaking your hands around a little bit. Yeah, I, I agree. And uh, this literally wasn't in my notes as anyone who gets to read our notes knows that was uh, an on the spot sort of idea. But I think mm-hmm. that adding the classes was the right kind of idea. That was a powerful effect that had a lot of impact on the game. Even if I got mad at the class that I picked because I'm dumb. The and bard was it? Yes. I picked the bard for my mono legends deck and I was like, this will be fun. And then I forgot that 
it didn't discount colorless mana. And so this level two was half as good as I thought it was going to be. And then I leveled it up again. And it was like, hey, guess what? Every time you cast a creature, exile two cards from your library. And I'm like, why is this good? <laughs> and it wasn't. <laughs> I think it assumes you're not running mostly legends in your deck. Like if it was a 50% legends deck where you don't end up cascading into exile for every spell you play. Because that seemed to be, some turns you would exile like six cards by playing, you know, three spells. And that's because everything has the legendary type. Yeah, it was bad. But (laughs) I think that I could learn from that and play better with it in the future. And that's my fault. Mm -hmm. But I I think that that had the right power level to start as a baseline of like, everyone has a class, everyone has a set game plan that they're building towards. Eric, uh, Oakley, what are what are your thoughts on the the D and D variant? Um, see, Chev, I, I don't really have any thoughts because I just forget to roll the die uh, all the time, <laughs> and, and this happens I, to I, me. In- you know, that could be a point that the effects suck. If you're just like these, literally, could not affect my game plan. I'm gonna do a okay without any of them. I, I think it's more because like like I do forget in plane chase a lot too, so it it, it could just mm-hmm. be a me thing. But in plane chase, you have this like effect like persistent constant effect on like the board state right. that's difficult to forget about and so whenever like you go to make a game plan you're like oh i gotta think about that like i gotta consider it do i want to like get off this this plane do i want to do something mm-hmm. and then try to roll for chaos or something like that whereas with the D, it's kind of just like well i could get this nice extra effect possibly or get stabbed in the face that's one of the most <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, there's a one in 20 chance you just stab take in the face. damage yeah <laughs> Yeah, so, stabbed in the face is my favorite yeah. favorite mode. Yep. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, um, but I, I think regardless, um, we should we should definitely make this. Do we make this available to the good the good people of? Yeah, we're going to include a link, yeah. um, so people can add suggestions and their own ideas for this uh, to the pod yeah. as well. Yeah, yeah, um, maybe we'll put it on our website or something or. Yeah, yeah. List. Okay, we can or have yeah, a like, we can have a little uh, game variant section. Yeah. I think that would be pretty. Oh, I'd like that. I'd like that very much. Um, yeah. So, I mean, that's pretty much all I have to say. I, <laughs> I, I am, uh, I am in the middle, <laughs> somewhere in the middle. On yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it's that's a good point, and and something that, uh, particularly with plane chase and D and D as opposed to two headed giant, mm. if you're adding more game elements, it's another thing to keep in mind, and especially when playing virtually. Uh, it's harder to make sure all those things are kind of up and running um, and, and that you're kind of paying attention to them. Because if you only have one screen, uh, you still want to be able to see everyone's cards. And so you're having to flip between multiple windows to deal with the multiple effects. <laughs> this is true. So, yeah, we brought up the uh, Hex Drinkers Olympics a few times. Uh, and I, I think one of actually the big uh, inspirations... Uh, going into the Hexstringers Olympics was the Commander Versus series from Star City Games. Uh, and actually, uh, a big, uh, the, the major contributing factor of that to the Hexstringers Olympics is the point system they incorporate to it. Uh, if you've ever, uh, if, or if you're familiar with that series or if you've ever watched it. Um, essentially, you earn points, you know, completely unofficial, unrelated to your life total or anything like that. Just you know, brownie points, you know, star stickers on your uh, report card uh, for doing certain challenges that you, uh, essentially you as a playgroup must decide. And we came up with a ton of really good ones with, I, I in my opinion, really good names uh, for the Hextrinkers Olympics. <laughs> um, so uh, the cool thing about that is that um, when you when you do these things, it, it sets up 
I, I feel like some really like hype plays that wouldn't normally happen uh, in uh, a normal game of Magic. For example, one of the, I guess, challenges or ways to earn points was, I guess, achievement called Not If I Kill Me First, which is deal lethal damage to yourself. <laughs> <laughs> so if you um, if, if you find yourself in that sort of situation where, you, like, in a normal game of Magic, you'd be like, oh, I just, I concede. Uh, well, maybe if there's a way you can, like, go out in style, then uh, you can earn yourself a few points. And, of course, what you do with the points uh, completely depends on the playgroup. I honestly don't remember what the winner of, like, the season or the, the month or the week or whatever um, that Star City Games did. Uh, but ours uh, went towards... Oh, God, what did they go towards? Uh, did they uh, go towards anything? Wilds. Bob Ross Secret yes, Lair that's lands. true. Yeah, we, we had a little, like, prize pool of uh, uh, the Secret Lair uh, that Chev got. Um, or, well, yeah. <laughs> um, uh... I'm out of things to say, Eric. Yeah, no. <laughs> um, I think that this is a super cool thing. I've seen this discussed on, uh, like, the EDH subreddit and, like, other EDH forums a lot in terms of a way to add a long-term set of goals. Because not everyone wants to build the same decks and always have the same goals when building, because eventually that sort of narrows your play and you end up looking at the same mm -hmm. cards and doing a lot of the same things. And I know that's a complaint that Chev has had where he's like, Every time I build a deck now, I'm like, okay, I got to put in the Soling. I got to put in the Arcane Signet. I got to put in these three ramp spells. And, like, there's just so much that's objectively good that it kind of kills some of the joy of deck building. And point systems can kind of save that. Where, like, one of our point system achievements was, like, win a deck or win a game or maybe play a game or win a game. I don't remember. Without ever playing an artifact or enchantment. Just don't. <laughs> um, and so this... Like, point systems, especially if you turn them into, like, seasons, uh, where, like, you know, you and your playgroup could have, like, a season that aligns with the seasons, or a season could be a year long, or a season could be a week long if you play a, a ton of magic. Uh, <laughs> and the goal is, over that time, to sort of go achievement hunting, and also to win games, because usually winning is also mm -hmm. worth points. Um, I really like this as an idea of encouraging creative deck building, encouraging creative gameplay... And just, it, it, it sort of adds life to the game, even when you're in a situation where you know you've lost. You can say, all right, I'm not going to win this game. Someone's too far ahead. I'm too far behind. How do I score points, though? Mm -hmm. And that helps maintain engagement in some of the situations where EDH feels really stale, where you're like, ah, yes, losing to the same deck again. A classic. <laughs> I think it's 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 interesting to see this point system too as kind of the carrot to the the stick of the restriction section that we're going to get to in a minute of like you know here are good things to to kind of entice you to play differently as opposed to really like cleaving options away like restrictions can kind of do uh, and I think it is something really cool too especially with your playgroup make something that is relatively unique for you to kind of enjoy and, and have more fun and make the experience more you know personal. Mm -hmm. Because I know that's a big thing. A lot of people, while there are some that might play at uh, local game stores and stuff, a lot of people have their casual pods that they're meeting with on evenings and stuff. And so, yeah, you can have a more personal experience there because they are the ones that you're going to be playing with. Yeah. and But also, in order to encourage like people to try this out, if you aren't feeling particularly creative, if you're feeling like you want to bring this to your playgroup, but you don't know sort of where to begin, there are a ton of pre-published lists of like, this is what mm -hmm. my playgroup uses for points. This is what mine does. And so 
you can go out there and find a baseline and build from that with your play group. And that, yeah. that's a good safe jumping off point probably. Yeah. So yeah, ultimately I think my favorite part of using the points is just adding some sort of like win condition to the gate to the act of playing magic that mm-hmm. isn't winning the game because they're at the end of a four player game that may last an hour and a half plus you, you only have one winner. Um, and you know, some people, some people care about second and third, which, which is fine. Uh, but this, this adds sort of like a long-term goal to it and you can still win, uh, in other ways yeah. besides making all your opponent's life totals zero. Uh, so before we get to the restrictions, I got one more, uh, little variant I'd like to sneak in here. And that is gambling, baby. Yeah. <laughs> oh, is that just like everyone starts with a gamble in the command zone? Yes, exactly. Um, no, actually, actually, um, it means we're bringing anti back. No, I'm just. Oh, don't, don't bring anti. That would be spicy. Don't bring. Man, bet those cards are interesting prices. I don't even know if they're they're probably expensive because they're they're banned and everything and reserve yep. listed. But um, that would be intense. Yeah, d- don't bring anti back and. Uh, and in terms of gambling, I'm not even really talking about uh, money here. There, there are definitely a, a lot of ways to sort of just like, just add all, you know, add, like we said, like with the, the wins in the Hex Rinkers Olympics, we had that little like prize pool of alternate lands. That can be really fun. It can be something as simple as like a pack. Um, I know in some of the drafts I've done uh, with some of my uh, friends, there's like a buy-in of like two packs, or sorry, my other plate other play group in Boston uh there's like a buy-in of like two packs and if you like if you win you get like you leave with like four packs you get second you get three third fourth two mm-hmm. and then maybe you you like if you get last place you get just one or something like that yeah <laughs> I'm sure the math works out somehow um yeah yeah <laughs> previ- something we did previously uh that we haven't really done recently because I think it it's fallen out of favor and also because we don't really most of the time uh, live near each other anymore is uh, is <laughs> gambling for uh, rares in drafts. So at the end of the uh, or, you know a draft session between the four of us, we would pull together the rares and whoever got the most wins in the draft would get to pick a rare first, then the second, then third, etc. Um, I always thought it was kind of cool as as a way to not encourage rare drafting <laughs> because uh, yeah if you, yeah if you encu- mm. if you you know, pull a doubling season in uh, uh, a a pack. You might not really want that for the draft, but you really want it for the money. <laughs> so, um, but the, it, it put adds in uh, sort of like a reward uh, in that sense, uh, which I think is fun. It's like it in that situation. You hope to pull garbage rares, yeah. so <laughs> you, you can you can get better ones. But it feels it definitely can feel bad yes. if you open a card and you realize you're not going to keep it. Absolutely, and it, it's it's kind of like. I, I think between the two, I really like the idea of buying in for a couple packs more kind of like <laughs> LGS style. Yeah. Because it is like, you don't want people, and, and especially when we do it, you open the packs and it's like, cool, I'm not going to get anything more mm-hmm. from this. So I might as well just take like the max amount of value. I'll have a sucky hour, but then I'm going to go home with a doubling season and uh, whatever else is kind of opened and, and passed. Yeah. So adding something that's like, okay, you know, don't necessarily do that. There's there's still a reason to try and be competitive mm-hmm. is, is always interesting. I think I think there was a few to- too many times when we did the, the rare drafting that someone went home with something that uh, they didn't they didn't open uh, and then the other person felt pretty bad. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so if gambling for rares isn't really your thing, uh, you can always go 
old hex drinker style and gamble for getting your friends drunk. Uh, place a bet for how many uh, drinks you <laughs> or some number of drinks yep. on a round of magic, and then if you win, you get to distribute your bet. If you lose, you got to take whatever was given to you by the winner plus your bet. Whatever your bet. I also will say, uh, as much as I don't like gambling for rares. I think that if everyone shows up and brings a couple packs, brings like a case of beer, brings a six pack, brings $5, whatever, I think that gambling for rares is dangerous because you don't know the value of what's at stake going in. <laughs> Whereas you do know the value of the case of beer you brought or the six pack, and I think that <laughs> is a better way Known of gambling. variables, yeah. et cetera, yeah. Yeah, so there's, there's plenty of different ways to kind of um, change change your format in in positive ways by adding you know various elements like we kind of talked about the D or or plane chase cards that you can get now pick your favorites make a small little deck uh or or two-headed giant which requires you know no extra cost or gameplay and really lets you kind of team up and scheme with a friend uh it's especially possible using something like discord or whatever to kind of have different voice channels stuff like that we've done uh for pre-releases in the past but you know all those things are good but let's just hit decks in the kneecaps now <laughs> it's it's time for for commander restrictions let's make it harder to build a deck by the sheer cutting out of available cards um <laughs> that sounds a little intense uh one of my favorite though is is pauper commander so people that are familiar with you know pauper as a format all cards have to be have been printed at common at some point pauper commander allows you to take any uh uncommon creature as a commander of a deck of 100 um and the rest of the cards have to be commons there's a small two-card ban list of uh, Mystic Remora and... Um, Ristic Study. Ristic Study, which makes sense. Uh, but other than that, it's it's a lot of fun, and especially given the different effects that are printed on uncommon creatures that you don't see on legendaries that interact a little bit weird, thinking like Adventures from Eldraine or um, those, those alternate casting modes that are kind of kept off of legendary creatures for some of these reasons. Uh, but you get to kind of play with them as well. And it's super fun to kind of dig in and find commons that flesh out of deck. Uh, one of the big things that we've seen recently from Oakley is, uh, what is it, Gangrenous Zombie? <laughs> as one of the best uh, board wipes in the format. <laughs> Taps, sack this creature, deals two damage to Eat. everything. Yep. Uh, if, if you control Snow-Covered Swamps. Yep. And that's, that's a really good card. Mm. And having to play around something like that makes for really interesting design decisions. As well as Shadow uh, This is something Wall? we've kind of explored... Uh, what was it? Was it Shadow Wall or Wall, Wall of Shadows? Shadows. Oh, Wall of Shadows. Wall of Shadows. That yeah, that's a, that's a damage thing. <laughs> it's it's kind of a format we played, I think, in episode two of the Hex Drinkers pod. Uh, we we used some of the uncommons from Commander Legends, that, the set that came out last year to build some decks. And then uh, recently we've been getting more into it after the, the Tryhards reached out to us. Uh, they're, they're more playing competitive PDH, uh, which it's a growing format. Um... We, we've stuck with PDH, though, a little more regularly. Uh, I think we, we tried CPDH in episode 34. Uh, but it's been a lot of fun, and we, we even played some last night. I was trying a Tetsuko Umazawa build, who's a legend from Dominaria that I've, I've recently played in Brawl a few times, trying to sneak in with some Infect and uh, blue combos, but that, that wasn't enough to win me the day. Yeah. of Zombies was too strong, unfortunately. <laughs> Yeah, when you have a deck that's based around creatures of power or toughness, one or less, and you deal two damage to every creature, yeah. it can cause problems. Yeah. But I think the real problem um, is Pestilence <laughs> is a common. Yeah. Uh, black black is the color of mass removal in Pauper, and um, Oakley's deck, which was 
Gray Merchant of Asphodel. Uh, which we have an article on. That really, which we do have an article <laughs> on. Uh, go check it on the site. Yep. But the the life gain and then the life loss, because I think a lot of the, the black wrath effects also deal damage to every player as well. Yep. Um, so the, the life gain from Gary is able to kind of perpetuate those those cards, and it, it's a brutal deck to play against. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> Especially knowing the cost of the thing is probably like 20 bucks. Yeah. It, honestly, I think you wouldn't do terribly with that deck in a regular pod. Just yeah. just doing Gary things. Oh, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe. The Wall of Shadow is like a, an all-star. As soon as you're like, my creature is double strike, and you're like, cool. <laughs> yeah, you have drawn Wall of Shadow and uh, Pestilent Zombies, and I think every game you've played that deck. Yeah. <laughs> no, Pestilence and Gangrenous Zombies, I think you're right. Because, mm. uh, yeah. And hey, I don't remember seeing Pestilence before, but I'm sure it came up, and I just oh. blocked out the memory. Perhaps. It's too I traumatic. Think Crypt Rats has shown up before. Ah, uh, yes. Um, that's that's a actual popper all-star. Yep. But you'll you'll see it in this format, too. Mm-hmm. Um, overall, I, I gotta agree. I really enjoy popper. I think it's a super cool format that... Mm encourages creative deck building through restrictions mm-hmm. but it still encourages you to look at a lot of new cards and shows you stuff that you never would have found before <laughs> um like i i have an enchantress deck in uh pdh half the cards in there i've i would have never heard of <laughs> until yeah. i went to this format uh like who who's out here talking about bequeathal one green, if enchanted creatures put into a graveyard, draw two cards. That's terrible, except when you're playing in Pauper and need every last resource you can get your grubby little hands on. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah. Uh, oh, also, another shout-out to Predatory Hunger. Just absolutely swept the first time we played PDH. Uh, with uh, one green, whenever an opponent successfully casts a creature, put a 1-1 on an enchanted creature... Slap that on uh, any little hexproof boy you got, and you are unstoppable. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hexproof is is a a real breadwinner in uh, in the popper format with the lack of mass removal and the mass. Uh, uh, there's like there's really very few options to deal with uh, hexproof besides maybe like a chainer's edict or or one of those sort of sacrifice effects, and <laughs> you're screwed if they have a board of them. Yeah, I I I really enjoyed how we started in this format, and then. Uh, eventually our transition to CPDH I thought was super cool and looking into mm-hmm. really how to turn this all the way up and, and how to explore not just playing it with Popper, but playing with every last ounce of power that Popper has. Yeah, kind of like squeezing it out. Um, I, I think in, in that particular domain, uh, Julian's Dargo and Malcolm Pirates deck has been a particular pain. Uh, Dar- and it, it's the kind of thing too where Dargo and Malcolm... Uh, they're two uncommon partners from uh, Commander Legends. Really not that strong in a, a normal game, Dargo being just a big beater. Uh, but when you get into Dargo's uh, cost reduction synergies with playing a bunch of treasures and sacking them and being able to play this massive threat for very few resources uh, each and every turn, it becomes a, a force to be reckoned with. Did we get, or did Julian get that from Tryhards and then modify it, or is that his own design? I think he got it. From uh, that Tri-Hards. is, yeah. So Tryhards is is really pioneering the CPDH format. Uh, they they've put together a sort of list of decks they believe are are popular in the meta. Dargo and Malcolm is one of them. Uh, I think a lot of the the games from that earlier episode where we did CPDH featured decks that were kind of initially from that sort of 
database of, of a meta that is slowly developing there. I think one of the, the, the good things too is uh, since Popper Commander is so radically different, uh, there really aren't good online resources for it. And I, I definitely, while that could be a little bit frustrating to new players, especially because you have to kind of know what words to look for and go through Scryfall and, and those tools that allow you to really search uh, because EDH rec can't kind of give you recommendations that are only common rarity. Uh, it does lead to a little more creative deck building. And maybe you'll, if you're leaning into Popper EDH with your, your pod and you do some drafts, it'll convince you to keep around that draft chaff. And it allows you, if this is something that's on your radar, it allows you to think about cards that would not see play in other formats, but are radically better when there are minimal um, other resources available. And something that, you know, we as the Hex Drinkers have done is we've tried to put out weekly PDH content starting um, with, I believe, uh, Adventures in the Forgotten Realm. We've talked about some of the great comments from that set. We've talked about the the classic removal of the format as well on the site. A few deck decks, Oak sharing his Gary deck, uh, me sharing a, a couple of the Dominaria legends that I, I'm pretty fond of. And then we've continued that with Midnight Hunt too, talking about the best new commanders from the format, some of the best cards from it, and continuing to kind of give you resources. So even if this seems a little bit daunting without your normal sort of... Um, resources available of you know edh rec and all those things you can still make informed decisions with the cards that you might be opening each day and just throwing out or or don't have a home for this gives them that chance i think i i love popper and popper edh is a format but i think my favorite thing about playing either of them has got to be finding just good commons or comments that are good yeah. enough to play in regular EDH. <laughs> like, yeah. uh, yep. Snuff Out and Mistful Teachings are both cards I found that way, mm -hmm. and they're, they're just some of my favorite cards. Uh, I love comments. <laughs> yeah. Or looking back at a card that you're already playing, and you're like, oh, there's no way I can include that, and you're like, holy shit, that's a common? <laughs> just like... There's Mana just... Geyser? Yeah. Uh, that's, yep. <laughs> that's a rough one that's a common. Yep. Um, it, can, it can do a lot of dirty things. Yep. So, um, besides just Pauper EDH, uh, a, a really good way, uh, I, I think, to spice things up, uh, which kind of requires a bit of unity and discussion uh, amongst your uh, team, is to go with a sort of theme. Uh, and mm -hmm. I, I think the specific theme I want to bring up is uh, one we did uh, where we each picked a plane, uh, and mm -hmm. we designed a deck around uh, sort of flavor and uh, the cards and creatures and legendaries and etc. from that set. Mm -hmm. um, uh, <laughs> it makes way for a lot of uh, awesome, I, I think, just thematic wins. Um, I will, you know, I, I think Eric's just vehicles-based, like, heist deck is amazing, yeah. and there's always going to be just, like, that little bit of jank thrown in there. Uh, like, I always, I'll never forget Erebos' whip in the vehicle deck. It's so good! <laughs> just laughing my ass off. Yeah. Oh, what is it? Is it whip of Erebos? Or, I don't care. It's Erebos' whip. It's his ride. <laughs> um, I think it is whip of Erebos, yeah. but, oh, man, the joy I got when someone called me out, and they're like, what is that? That's not a vehicle. Why is someone driving that? And I was like, it's Erebos' whip! <laughs> yeah, that was God, <clears throat> just yeah, it just um picking picking a theme such as like the the planar decks is uh just a, mm -hmm. a way to just it, it's rife, it's chock full of situations uh like that that yeah. you run into, and it's just a, 
a great way to mix things up. It's something to uh, to to look into. I think you know it's been a while since we've done a, a set of precons. It was one of Eric's ideas to kind of come up with four unique decks, uh, show them off, and try to keep them around a, a precon level. Because you know we only get X number of precons every year from Wizards. The number is going up. But there's there's certain themes that that we can do that might be harder for for them to kind of show off. So most recently, of course, like Oakley was saying, was the the planar precons. Uh, as we discovered in doing that, there are some planes that have we've been to a few more times than others and might be a little more powerful. Some that are um, a little I, older, I could, maybe have a little older have you know had a, a couple returns, uh, maybe quite a few bannings in standard. Yep. Uh, you know, different stuff. I I remember I took on Kaladesh thinking I could do some broken things. But of course, uh, with commander requirements also being from the plane, there are very few as well. And I think it'd be interesting to see some of these new planes that we've been to where there's a lot more commander options that might be better to deal with the chaff that you have uh, for the rest of the deck. I believe when we did that, um, Julian picked Mirrodin, which which was a little bit out of control when you have access to all 10 sort of X and Y. <laughs> uh, that, that does lead to when uh, some interesting gameplay um, situations... And I think Oakley found out something about uh, Fioria yeah. when realizing the uh, the conspiracy sets are vehicles for reprints as opposed to <laughs> actual um, lore-based areas. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh yeah, Phyrexian Arena, awesome, I get to play Fire... Oh wait, uh, never mind. <laughs> Koth, Koth is not... Well, I mean, maybe he planeswalked there and uh, took some Phyrexians with him, but it's a little bit harder. Yeah. I think this is something that we're going to see in future a little bit too, though. I... I I believe we have a, a planer episode kind of in the, the pipe uh, to, to do in the next couple of weeks. Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm really looking forward to that. This is an idea for the pod that I came up with that I'm super proud of in terms of just like a way to genuinely like innovate on deck building. And uh, I think the way you like sort of self-police the restrictions, it can be really cool. The first deck I built uh, was just an absolute ode to Kamigawa and it was Okagachi... 11 shrines spirit tribal and so in addition to saying i'm only using cards from kamigawa i was like well if okagachi's the commander none of the humans fought on the same side as the spirits so i gotta cut down to just the spirits and then within that even i was like but i also want to make an 11 shrine deck and i just built this complete bastard of a deck but it was so fun to play yeah yeah and I think the uh, the last restriction we kind of want to talk about that's kind of in line with with Popper is uh, just imposing a budget. You know, we, we've talked about this a few times on the pod um, when we kind of do retrospectives on our play group. We did that, I think, for the year in review and at the beginning of this year where it's kind of, you know, our decks, as we've been in the format longer, and, and this is going to be true with anyone, kind of are going to accrue value, uh, right? Like you've built your initial deck. You have $30, you're able to splurge on a couple more cards. You have $30 more, you're able to splurge a little more. And the, those price tags can get really high up there, especially on decks with more greedy mana bases and things like that. So something that a couple of us have been doing recently is just put a budget on that. Uh, we Some things you've seen in recent group brews is people bringing $30, $30-ish decks. I, I, I think I did 25 first and Eric decided, nah, this five extra dollars is going to get me there. <laughs> uh, and is brought to 30, which we found is a, a more reasonable place to be. But, you know, you can you can really set a, a limit anywhere. We found that, I think it was with, uh, it, it was with Sithis. Uh, when Sithis came out, um, I, I tried to impose a $50 limit. 
and the deck was just too good. <laughs> it, it was too similar to you know where you'd be normally that to really see change in the deck. That's why I had to cut it down to twenty five dollars. And so you like with some of these recent commanders that are super powerful. Right now, I've been trying to build a Humza uh, thirty dollar ish deck. Uh, he's the one who kind of has that um, reduced creatures by the number of creatures you control with one one counters on them. So there's a lot of really powerful commanders, and there's a lot you can do with those limited mana cost or uh, limited sort of budgets and it can again like popper bring a lot of interesting cards out of the woodwork mm. um yeah as the one who raised the limit from 25 to 30 i think 30 is a real sweet spot in terms of mm-hmm. 25 you're like i can't run this one dollar card it's too much <laughs> whereas like yeah that's true 30 just gives you a little breathing room to be like oh i can put this uh this like a little little sweetheart of mine in there, and like, it gives you room to make pet cards work without making an objectively bad deck. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. definitely. Yeah, uh, and you'd be surprised with with the recent changes we've seen in Wizards reprint policy, all of which have been good. Uh, you know, we can always we can always call for more reprints and and faster, but the number of times we've seen cards reprinted in the last couple of years versus where they were when we joined the game has brought a lot of very powerful effects to very low cost. And this is this is going to be true, you know, regardless of where you are in Commander. Check some of those staples that you were kind of surprised at how much they were. Because while some have been able to maintain value, a lot of them have fallen drastically with each reprint in a Modern Horizon set, in Time Spiral Remastered. Um, all of these things have really dropped the price of staples of the game to the point where you can include them in, in $30 decks. I know a couple of the Enchantress pieces... Uh, most recently have really, really fallen yeah. to the point where uh, Oakley's, um, like, I think it was $50 when it came down to it. The the Sithis Auras build yeah, you had wasn't much. that ended up still relatively cheap mm-hmm. was able to put on a mighty big showing at a table with decks with no price limit. Yeah. Uh, and so it's it's really good to see the, the cost of a lot of effects reduced so you can get in more uh, and it's it's you can build an entire deck or order pizza out, and that's a decision you have. It's not like giving up <laughs> pizza for like a month if you wanted to kind of add add to a, a deck and be fiscally responsible. Yeah, dude, now you got me feeling guilty for ordering pizza. <laughs> I'm, I'm eating pizza tonight. Don't you worry about it. I'll, I'll spend like $20 on my next deck to make up for it. There you go. Nice. Um, yeah, so that's sort of all the restrictions we wanted to talk about, but I think it's also relevant to talk about how you can play with these restrictions. Obviously, not everyone is in a financial position where they can just... Uh, go out and try all of these, especially if they want to build custom decks for mm-hmm. them. Uh, even though a lot of these options that we've tried to suggest are on the more affordable end or don't really require change, uh, it's still important to talk about ways to play and ways to get access to these without breaking the bank. And so we've done a couple cool ways to play that uh, can include that. The first of which is going to be Spell Table, which is official and wizard sponsored and just absolutely amazing. Um, Spell table uh, can work for either paper or digital magic. Digital is going to require some setup, and I don't know. I'll, I'll walk you through it uh, on this podcast in brief form, but if you want a, an official run through, shoot us an email, I guess. Uh, mm-hmm. But uh, what essentially with paper, you get yourself a webcam, you point it at your ta- table. And then you can play with your friends across the country and they just look at your cards and you're playing like you're sitting across the table from them, except no one can steal your snacks. Um, 
<laughs> but uh, the Moxfield Virtual Cam, uh, if you have any sort of deck builder that you t- tend to use, whether it's Moxfield, uh, which we love and thoroughly enjoy, or whether you're still on Tapped Out, or whether you're on Architect, or whatever, um, if you go into the playtest version, uh, you can set up a capture window with any sort of streaming software. We use OBS, capture the play field and uh, any other relevant areas, and then uh, turn on what's called a virtual camera in most streaming softwares, where it then treats that capture window as a camera, and then you can stream that to Spelltable. Uh, mm-hmm. Again, if you want a more official walkthrough, uh, feel free to reach out. But uh, there are a ton of different ways to play. Uh, who else wants to talk about uh, the other wizard yeah, sponsors? Before, before we kind of get off this this topic, uh, a couple of really good things too is while the, the paper option is absolutely amazing if you've got your decks, you've got them blinged out, uh, but also being able to do a sort of hybrid model where you have people who do have paper decks can be into a spell table game. And if you're trying something out, you want to test a few new changes with uh, using the sort of online version before you commit and make the purchases, you can be in the same game as them. And it's it's totally seamless in terms of the added uh, benefits that Spelltable gives you of keeping track of life total, keeping track of identity. Um, and if you're using the digital one, the AI card uh, reader is actually like 99% accurate. So even if the cards look a little bit blurry, uh, based on the art and stuff, if you click on a card, like I'm sure people who are on Spelltable have done, you can see the card on the the right hand side, and this works with most digital representations. Paper is probably still like fifty fifty uh, for the the weird cards. It's always fun to see what spell table assumes um, a land is. Uh, it, it never is the same t- two times in a row. Especially but there are <laughs> if if you're if you've got sleeved cards and you're playing under a lamp, it's over. Like or the like glare, yeah, rolls. or foil, <laughs> it's just done. Those card, the glare on those cards is too much. Uh, we have found right. a way to help with this sometimes. If there's a lot of glare or white balance issues, toss a piece of paper up at the top of the field, and uh, that can help your camera mm-hmm. adjust to what things should look like. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Or I guess if you're playing on a solid white thing, like flip your play mat over so it's got like a dark background it can contrast with. Right, right. Um, yeah, like Jeff said, this is a great way to... Uh, playtest decks, it really takes me back to, like, early college when me and Chev would, like, pull up the, the playtesters when we were trying to build things and just, like, sit with our laptops next to each other and be like, all right, man, don't look at my hand. All right, man. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. um, I had one of those laptops you could fold all the way over. Oh, yeah. uh, and so Ooh. I did that, like, across from someone to play Paper Magic with them, and I just had, like, uh, I did this in my, col- like, my college dorm room basement, and I set up, like, a little piece of paper that covered my hand. And uh, <laughs> I played like that for a little while when I was testing yeah. out uh, an old build of Marath, I think. Yeah. And, I mean, as, as playgroups get more comfortable, including proxies of higher-powered effects and things like that, this is essentially just digital proxying. Like, you, you, you don't need to commit. You can play some of those harder to get cards, like things that are on the reserve list that are dumb for the reason they're expensive. Uh, I've recently been trying to put together... I think it's Hazazon, um, a, a legend from Legends, uh, who on the upkeep after he enters, make 1-1 one, one sand warriors equal to the number of lands you control. That effect is worth $400. <laughs> um, it, it's not worth $400. It's a, a limited version of, you know, Avenger of Zendikar. Uh, but it, it, it does lead to some pretty cool deck ideas in the, the Naya Color identity. And, you know, if, if you don't have a, a paper version, digital is, is what you got to use. Um. Speaking of digital, 
there's one more, uh, actually pretty nice, um, means of playing, uh, EDH digitally, uh, and if you've ever tuned into any of Eric's lovely streams, uh, you will know that, <laughs> how this, what I'm about to bring up, uh, that is MTGO, good old Moto, um, honestly, uh, Eric, correct me if I'm wrong on this, but a lot of Commander cards are, are pretty cheap on, uh, on MTGO. Uh, yeah, if you use any deck building software, uh, a lot of the times one of the ways it will help you price out your deck is in ticks. If you have no idea what that means, mm -hmm. that is the MTGO currency. One ticket is one dollar. Um, but you'll often be like, oh, this deck is only like 10% or 20% as many ticks as it is dollars. And it it is really a genuinely good way to build and play Magic for cheaper. Um it has its own foibles that we can get into, but I, I do want to start off with a, a roaring endorsement of it. And there's also a lot of websites that will help support that with, um, you can go onto websites and rent decks. You can go onto websites and buy decks. Mm -hmm. I know someone who rents decks actively and he really enjoys it and allows like, enjoys the flexibility that that allows him to rent cards. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, uh, thanks to a, uh, pretty big organization called card hoarder uh you can always like cash out your um your your stash of cards if you decide that you bought a bunch of stuff and you're just not playing it or you don't enjoy mm -hmm. the moto uh ui which is understandable uh <laughs> yeah um it's been a while since it's seen some yeah. love it's not it's, a, honestly, it's not a hard commitment it's pretty amazing that unlike most digital card games you can just actually cash out and say mm -hmm. like yep. i'm yep. done that's it i'm done and yep. I would like my money back, and you can get more money back than you spent sometimes. Potentially, yeah. yeah. Because yeah. sometimes there won't be a reprint, and more people will sign up to play Moto, and card demand will go up. Awesome. I think I think that kind of takes us to the end. It might be a, a little bit shorter, but uh, in review, you know, we, we talked about some different ways that you could kind of spice up your games with different gameplay elements like Plane Chase or D&D. Uh, some other ways to kind of like restrict the cards you use uh, through budget or pauper and those kind of things to really force you to kind of look through the nooks and crannies of Magic's history, which is always a fun time, especially with Scryfall, where you can make really informed searches of the type of cards you're looking for. And then, you know, where to play. Uh, if you've been living under a rock and don't know of the virtual alternatives for the past year and a half, there's a great time to learn. Um, <laughs> and, and it still allows you to play. And it's, you know, I don't think that we'd be playing nearly as much Magic uh, as a, a friend group as we have been able to over this this last year thanks to things like spell table um and other online solutions that allows us to really be able to play even when we're miles and miles apart but yeah any any last words or or thoughts <laughs> any last words um <laughs> no nah, i'm just gonna do have the terminator nice thumbs up as i melt into the lava see you Perfect. Yeah. So, you know, uh, thanks for tuning in to episode 45. Uh, we will probably have an article go out um, with this podcast, kind of highlighting some of the some of the episodes we talk about in here, some of the um, different uh, resources we, we discussed, kind of like an extended show notes, but as a way to kind of have a resource you can keep going back to without having to listen to us uh, bullshit for, for an hour. If you guys have done anything over the course of the pandemic to kind of keep things interesting or custom game modes, you know, we'd love to hear about them. You can reach out to us at hexdrinkers at gmail.com or over on Instagram or Twitter at hexdrinkers. Uh, if you guys are interested in what we talked about with PDH or some of the planar precons, 
Uh, we write articles weekly about all these kind of things over on hexdrinkers.com. That's kind of our main hub where we also show some, some videos of recent streams we've done and also host this podcast. And if you really like our content, uh, the Year of Brew article series that Julian's been doing, uh, the PDH stuff on our website, or, or this podcast, um, we do have a Patreon available at Hex Drinkers, where you can get stuff like full uncut episodes a week early, uh, detailed show notes kind of going behind the scenes of how we put these things together, as well as more customized um, rewards as you kind of go up in the tiers. Things like a full deck tech working with the Hex Drinkers team to kind of build something super cool and interesting and unique, and we'll talk about it for a full episode on the on the pod. Or you can add flavor text to our website that kind of stays there in perpetuity, uh, and you can show off to your friends and family how cool you are to have a presence on the web. So yeah, uh, consider supporting for as little as a, a dollar an episode. And I think that's going to wrap it up here for episode 45. So from all of us here, thanks for being a listener and tune in next time.